Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It is good to be with you again. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also go to our website, johnwarrenmedia.com, to learn more about our work. Feel free to send along a comment on our contact form there, or you can email me directly at john at johnwarrenmedia.com. We talk about lots of interesting subjects on this podcast. I'm grateful for you and appreciate your feedback. Um, I, I, I really do. And as some of you tell me um, that you didn't know your feedback would be valuable, but just your words of encouragement are, um, are, are, are so kind and, uh, and uh, much, much uh, appreciated. Uh, this mutual building each other up that we do, Paul talks about a lot in scripture. Well, never have we had a more weighty topic, if I can say it that way, than our topic today. This this closes out, although, you know, we can come back to this again and again. This closes out this series that we've interrupted a couple of times with uh, other episodes, other topics. But this closes out this uh, lengthy series that we've done on the attributes of God. Um, and and today we're, we're going to talk specifically about the wisdom of God. This, this notion of the wisdom of God um, is, is so all-encompassing. We're going we're gonna to conclude today that God grants, has, and grants all wisdom. Wisdom comes from no other source. I, I, I kind of don't think of it that way, but it's true. The Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, are unified in possessing and imparting wisdom. And wisdom is a, an attribute of God that is communicable to us. The God's attributes are, uh, some are communicable and in, uh, some are not communicable, incommunicable, uh, meaning, for example, God's um, omnipresence. You know, we're not we don't get granted this ability to be omnipresent. We can't, as we grow in God's grace, we don't become more omnipresent. Uh, we, we can become wiser. And, and that's the point I'm making here. Wisdom is one of those attributes that gets restored in us. I, I think pre-fall, man was, was much wiser because we're made in God's image and God's image gets restored in us as we grow in his grace we're born depraved sinners and god grows us in his grace and restores us and grows us in these communicable attributes wisdom being one am i suggesting that we're going to be as wise as god someday no there are some cults out there that teach that we're not taking on this characteristic of god that's not what i'm saying at all I'm saying that he grows his wisdom in us. It's interesting, animals, and, and for that matter, the rest of creation, don't really have wisdom. They, they, might, they might have 
some innate kind of primal instincts that that look like wisdom and, and they do some things that are crafty but they don't really grow in 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 wisdom they 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 demonstrate as they mature as they learn from their mothers in the wild or 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 uh, from their environment they 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 they're they are siblings or they're pursued by other animals they they can learn some things that look like they're wise but they're really just tactics and and they're not really growing in wisdom and i've heard i've heard scientists talk about biologists in particular talk about plants as if they have wisdom they don't um they they don't have souls as you know the wisdom we have is a result of being made in god's image all wisdom is in jesus christ there are many definitions of god's wisdom found in commentaries and among theologians and today we'll see that knowledge is necessary for wisdom to be gained and wisdom is really the relationship between the truths gained through knowledge sometimes we call this uh, in secular terms we call it critical thinking skills wisdom goes beyond that but it's really skill in discerning the relationship between the tenets of truth that we learn it's one of the that's one of the definitions of wisdom. I've heard another theologian say it's skill in our relationship with God and and it and man to some degree. And and it really is if you think about it. I think that definition comes up short, but but if you define skill correctly, then then yeah, skill in relationships with God and man is is not a not a bad definition. But even wisdom is multifaceted. God imparts wisdom in, in a sense this study of god's attributes that we've done is all about wisdom god's wisdom is in each of the other attributes we've we've said this so clearly from the beginning and this is not a a small topic this is important that god's essence includes all of his attributes they're not independent they didn't come from independent sources and they're not independent in him they're all part of his his essence his nature and we we kind of struggle with that to picture that because we think of attributes as separate things and we've we've talked a lot about anthropomorphism that is assigning um, man's characteristics man's attributes to god using language that is very limited We're, we all struggle with this when we talk about god we don't really have the words to describe god's essence being one his his essence being simple in a sense in the in the in the compounded sense it, he's of one essence he doesn't have individual attributes well you can see how important wisdom is to god to his to his essence with some of the other attributes it's a little harder to see each attribute and all the others but you know that wisdom is necessary god is all wise he is perfectly full of wisdom he's not lacking any wisdom in any respect he has no capacity for additional wisdom because his wisdom is infinite and perfect and yes he imparts wisdom to us if god were not wise we would be left with a god who misuses his other attributes you might have noticed this in people with with a lack of wisdom who have a particular talent that stands out and you might find yourself saying something like how could someone so brilliant at 
X do Y? Or how could they not be together? They're so good at this, but why is their life a mess? And, and, and God isn't that way. His choices are perfect. For that matter, if you think about each of his attributes, even just the ones we've studied, which is not comprehensive at all, it isn't difficult to imagine a God who is missing one or more of the attributes. God's perfection is seen in so many ways. And one of them is this perfect combination of his attributes. If we were to design God, which I know is backwards and blasphemous to even suggest, but we, we he would not have all of his completeness, his, his attributes. Any combination of God's attributes without the others would be less than the true living God. This is where counterfeit religions and even Christians who don't teach the entirety of Scripture go severely off track. They preach and teach a God who's quite different from the true living God in Scripture. There's a simple concept I want to get across today that I think we can see in in a couple of different Scriptures here quickly. Job 9. We see it a couple places in Job, chapter 9 and chapter 12. But in chapter 9, verse 4, he's wise in heart and mighty in strength. This, this notion of wisdom and might combined. The rest of that verse says, who has hardened himself against him and succeeded? You know, who has resisted God and succeeded? The answer is no one. Job 12, uh, verse 13. With God are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding. Daniel chapter 2, verses 23, I guess just verse 23. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's manner, matter. Revelation 5, verse 12, saying with a loud voice, worthy, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might. There they are together again. And glory and honor and blessing. Revelation, the Revelation chapter 7, verse 12, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Notice wisdom and might together in these verses. Either without the other, if I can say it that way, would be less than God. God is if I can say it in very human terms, perfectly balanced. His his essence is perfect in every respect. Remember Anselm's claim that God wouldn't be God if we could imagine a higher being? Similarly, he wouldn't be fully God if we could think of an attribute that he's missing and we cannot. Can you imagine a God with might without wisdom? That would result in power without knowledge and discernment. Can you imagine the the chaos of such a God? And then wisdom without might would result in knowledge and discernment without the capacity to carry out the best ends by the best means. Did you hear that? Wisdom without might would result in knowledge and discernment without the capacity to carry out the best ends by the best means. You've heard this expression that the ends justifies 
the means. It does not. We don't have to compromise. God does not compromise the means to achieve his ends. We as humans do this all the time, don't we? We, we care about the ends. We wouldn't lie if we didn't compromise the means, if you think about it. We actually think, no, I've got this. I'm self-sufficient. I need this outcome. I want this outcome, and I must lie to achieve it or cheat or do whatever or, or gossip or whatever. Well, I had, a good, I had good intentions. You ever hear people say that? Well, at least he had good intentions. You know, that, that means that, that something is flawed in the person's character or in the way they executed morally. Well, there, there's a, a, a verse, two verses that I bet you know in Isaiah. You've heard these quoted anyway. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither or are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. That, ladies and gentlemen, is significant theology. That is the crux of the matter. That is, that, that is just a, a beautiful picture of, of a high view of God. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And then, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. Whenever we try to figure out God, we get into trouble. You know, theologians use all kinds of analogies. And J.I. Packer uses one where he talks about uh, learning to drive. And he says, wisdom is like learning to drive. You, you, you learn, you know, judgment and, and speed and, and how to aim the car and how to keep it on the road and stay away from other cars. But, but wisdom is not figuring out why the road turns this direction or why the cars around you are doing certain things. That goes too far. That's, that's not productive in your driving. I mean, you, you might want to anticipate other drivers, but he talks about all the, all the things that go into road design and, and getting from here to there and all the alternate, alternate routes and, and, and that's kind of what we do with God. He also talks about an analogy in the subway system in New York, and he, he talks about the, the conductors, the, 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 the guys that, I don't even know what they're called, but the guys that design all the routes and monitor all the trains. And, and I think of um, air traffic controllers. I know someone, knew someone years ago who was an air traffic controller, and the complexity of, of, of landing all the planes. In a sense, that's what we do when we think we're developing wisdom, why we try to figure out the why and, and, and why God does X or, or, or why does God operate this way? And that is clearly, according to this scripture, above our pay grade. It's not emblematic of wisdom. There are theologians who sort of fake this as if they, they have the mind of the Lord and, and and scripture teaches us that 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 we we don't uh, and and I know I read it a lot but Romans eleven thirty three through thirty six just says this very clearly oh the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God how unsearchable unsearchable that is are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways boy that's enough right there but listen to this one verse thirty four for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. 
To him be glory forever. Amen. This, this is why we focus on a high view of God. Scripture focuses on a high view of God. That doesn't mean we throw our hands up and say God is unknowable. No, no, we can, we can learn how to drive a car, how to, how to be the person whose life glorifies God and loves our neighbor as ourselves. Those are the things we should focus on, not why did God allow tornadoes to happen or an earthquake or a hurricane or poverty. If a person doesn't know Christ, they lack wisdom. Knowing Jesus Christ is essential to wisdom. We see this in Colossians 2. Listen, just listen to this for a moment. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance and of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do you hear that? In whom are hidden all of these treasures. When I teach apologetics, we, we talk about the fact that many religions of the world acknowledge a supreme being of some sort. But they all, with the exception of true Christianity, do not know who Jesus Christ is. Listen to these verses again in Colossians. A lot of them say he's a prophet or he's, he's a good man, but they deny his deity and his attributes. So listen to Colossians 2, 1 through 3 again. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. This, this really shouldn't surprise us, this fact that many deny the resurrection or, or Christ's deity or, or ministries that, that lack true knowledge and wisdom. Uh, according to this passage in Colossians, we shouldn't be surprised at this. Uh, how, how can we expect them to have wisdom and knowledge when they deny the one in whom the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden? We see the unity of the Godhead here when we study wisdom, all wisdom is in Christ, centered in a person, not in a formula or a set of facts. That person is Jesus Christ. The Gnostic teachers back in Paul's day taught that knowledge rested in them. Christ is the true depository of all knowledge and wisdom. If knowledge refers to the understanding of each particular truth, then wisdom, or this word, this Greek word we see in the New Testament, Sophia, sees the relationship between the truths. The word translated wisdom, it's interesting, the, the English translation uh, uh, wisdom appears 213 times in Scripture. The Old Testament word most of the time is hakma, H-A-K-M-A, and it includes the idea of wisdom and skill. The New Testament word is Sophia. S-O-P-H-I-A. Both have the meaning wisdom. The New Testament word literally means full of intelligence, knowledge of diverse matters, varied knowledge of things human and divine. But this is important, an important truth for us 
And, and this doesn't make us throw up our hands and give up in its pursuit, but wisdom is hidden. This Greek word translated to hide is apocrypto or apocryphus. Uh, we see this word in, in, in Colossians 2, 3, that, that passage we just read, in whom are hidden, talking about Jesus Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Just as the world did not know Christ when he lived on earth, so sinful man cannot understand the real meaning of life or the redemptive program recorded in Scripture apart from Jesus Christ. John 1, verse 9, is a verse we've read many times, but let's look at 9 and 10. The true light which God, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And, the, and you know, it goes on, then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Wisdom is hidden from those who are wise in their own sight. We see this again in Colossians 1, verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. I should have read the verse before that. Um, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his, all this, his energy that he powerfully works within me. We see it again in Matthew 11. At the same time, verse 25, at, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. 1 Corinthians 2, 6. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory. Going down to 1 Corinthians um, chapter 2, verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So you see the entire Godhead is involved. Verse 11, for who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God, given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Since this treasure is in Christ and is revealed by the Holy Spirit, and since Christ and the Holy Spirit are in each believer, each child of God has full access to the treasure of wisdom. 
the believer must study the word of God to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. I'm particularly fond of this type of expository study, the, even the type we did in Romans. But as we, as we look at scripture in context, I, I think, I think that even this study of God's attributes has, has been so beneficial to me. I believe it's clear in scripture that we're to grow in knowledge and wisdom through the study, not just, not just the casual reading, although the casual reading is just fine to do from a devotional standpoint, from an inspiration standpoint, but the study of scripture is so important. The study of God's word. First Peter three thirteen says, now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for Christ, uh, righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, not uh, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect second peter 3 18 but grow in the grace and knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ to him be glory both now and to the day of eternity scripture teaches that yielding and purity of heart are keys to unlocking the treasure of god's wisdom always being prepared to make a defense that just tells us in, in case you've ever wondered that, that this word apologetics is is literally translated uh, it literally means a defense it, it is it is the ability to defend the faith it doesn't mean you have to know everything there is about all the all the cults and all the other religions of the world it's helpful if you know something about them but doesn't mean that you have to it means that you know you, you're able to defend the hope that is in you a defense to anyone this verse says in first peter 3 who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect when you learn a thing and i learn a thing well enough that we can we can teach it thoroughly but with gentleness and respect you know it's not just the blunt bam here it is i'm gonna hit you over the head with it then then we've really learned it and we've learned how to communicate it so so yes there's a defense there there, there there's a there's a stand for truth that is in this verse isn't there there is a stand for truth for sure but there but there is a a a, a defense that is gentle and and respectful well so scripture does teach that yielding and purity of heart you know growing in god's grace is is coming under god's word respecting it properly and having a high view of god god is all wise his his choices pursue the highest end and the best means to arrive at the highest end the means and ends are not at odds with god as we've said before we read that section at the end of romans 11 god, god is god is passionate about his own glory we see later in romans romans chapter 16 that wisdom Wisdom's highest end is the glory of God. Uh, verse 25 of chapter 16 of Romans says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long, for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God. There it is. 
be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Our decision-making on this earth should include consideration of what will most glorify God. This should guide our decision-making process. God's wisdom is the highest end and the best means toward glorifying God. Well, we see the display of God's wisdom in, in several places. We've talked about this a lot in, in this, in this uh, uh, series. Uh, wisdom in, in creation, first of all. The heavens, Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. John Calvin said the entire universe is a theater to showcase the glory of God. Creation is an excellent demonstration of God's glory. He spoke the earth into being, didn't he? He did so perfectly. That, that, think about the earth. I, we've talked about this before, but the rotation is at just the right angle. Its orbit is perfect. Its orbiting speed is perfect. The distance to the sun is perfect. The, you've heard, you know, if we were further away, we'd freeze. If we were closer, we would incinerate. The balance of the height of the mountains and the depths of the ocean are perfect. The earth doesn't wobble in its orbit. He, he hangs the earth in space. The weather of the regions is, is, is diverse. Even the water cycle is, is evidence of the wisdom and the greatness of God. I've talked before on this podcast about how amazed I am at the water cycle, at, at waterfalls in particular. When you look at the, the, the number of cubic feet per second that pass by you on a, on a raging river or, or fall down a waterfall, if you get those numbers, you will be astounded. How in the world do they not run dry? And most of them don't. I'm not just talking about Niagara Falls. I'm talking about the Bridal Falls in North Carolina. I'm talking about all sorts of waterfalls. If you go to Brevard, North Carolina, or the surrounding area, Cashiers and, and those areas, my goodness, Highlands, there, there are waterfalls all over the place that are magnificent, that roar so loudly you can't talk to the person next to you conveniently. How, how does that work? That creation is an excellent demonstration of the wisdom and glory of God. We even see this reference in Romans 1 where Paul's, Paul's going into some heavy theology on justification by faith and he's talking about us being sinners. He's talking about us being unable to comprehend. And he says though in verse 20 of chapter 1, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they're without excuse for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We also see the wisdom of God in providence, don't we? The highest means and the highest ends are in mind here. He chooses the best means for his glory. He, he chooses where on the map, he chose, I should say, where on the map and, and the time of your birth, our births. He, he, he chose teachers. He, told, he chose friends, colleagues, neighbors, and, and a myriad other details so that whether we eat or drink, we can do all to the glory of God. 
In other words, he chose all those things for his glory. First Corinthians 10 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. He even uses trials, adversity, dare I say Satan and his demons, evil to conform us to his image. Joseph's life is a perfect example of this. We see in Genesis 50, verse 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Evil and trials are, the, are for the greatest good in our lives and for God's glory. We see God's wisdom in, in the cross of Jesus Christ. That the, God's design, in a sense, what God used there was the greatest evil, wasn't it? He had just one son, and the conspiracy against him was evil and blasphemous. It was sinful, but it was the eternal plan of God. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, nothing just happens. Even God bringing us where we are today, you listening to this podcast episode, think about all the paths that we had to travel, you had to travel, we all had to travel, all of the listeners of this podcast had to travel to get here to, to click on this podcast and listen to this episode. Yet we are here for God's glory. He is good. And, and to build each other up. Think about your church. He brought it together. When we think of this as a divine appointment, our entire lives as a divine appointment, it changes the way we approach it, doesn't it? Well, similarly, the greatest display of divine wisdom is in salvation. The power of the cross, the power of Jesus Christ to save sinners is the most beautiful and powerful display of the wisdom of God. Only God could design the brilliant, stunning, scandalous, and yet simple plan of salvation. The logical, perfect perfectly logical, perfectly wise plan of salvation. Consider these facts for a moment. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Him being sinless. His being born under the law. His obeying the law perfectly. I mean, think about all the interactions, all the things that had to happen for me to be able, for us to be able to conclude that Scripture is right in this regard. He obeyed it perfectly perfect active obedience that was imputed is imputed to our account his righteousness his moral rightness he was sentenced to a death an evil cruel death on a cross he who knew no sin became sin for us our sins were transferred to him he became accursed for us the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world paid in full he was raised on the third day. He conquered sin and death. The grave could not hold him. Think about that. 40 days later, he ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord by faith will be saved. He is just and the justifier of those who trust him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me was his cry on the cross 
what genius, what a wise plan of salvation. This is the wisdom of the ages. First Corinthians one says uh, down in, in verse 24, I'm going to jump in in the middle. Well, you know what? I'm going to, I'll read verse uh, 21 and following for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe for Jews demanded demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. There we see the power and wisdom together. Again, we have quite the comparison here uh, by Paul in these verses. God has no foolishness or weakness. That is clear, isn't it? He says in verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. But Paul makes it clear that the juxtaposition of God to man is stark. We talked a little bit about incommunicable, incommunicable and communicable attributes of, of God. Our, our moral qualities that belong to the divine image were lost or certainly diminished in the fall. God works in and through us to restore his ruined image by communicating these qualities to us anew, don't we? Well, wisdom is among the communicable attributes. The first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs it just gives you, if you want to just do some reading that, that for further study, look at the first nine chapters of Proverbs. There's an exhortation here to seek the gift of wisdom. Chapter four of Proverbs, verses five through 13, get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight, prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction and do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. You know, we talk a lot about what's your major in college? What'd you major in? What'd you get your degree in? But how about this? Just develop wisdom. I have students all the time who feel lots of pressure at this age in 11th and 12th grade to pick the perfect major. I, I, those are important decisions. I understand that. And I know parents work, you work with your students and, and the college boards helps you figure some of that out through some of the testing and all. But, but really, our aspiration should be to grow in wisdom. Ephesians 5, verse 15 and following, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Being wise reveals the will of the Lord. Colossians 4, verse 5, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That idea of having an answer for the hope that lies within us. We have to learn to revere God. The fear of the Lord, Psalm 11, 111 says, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. 
This word wisdom here is skill or wisdom. It's that word hakma that we talked about. It's also in this verse, Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord, here's the concept again, is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is straight. We have to learn to receive God's word. Paul tells Timothy this in 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 and following, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, meaning scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We only learn wisdom through scripture. You know what wisdom is not? It's not a, a deeper understanding into the meaning and purpose of events going on around us, like we said before. You know, the book of Ecclesiastes is another one I want to commend to you for study. And I have to be candid. I, I really had not, prior to preparing for this episode, I'd really not studied Ecclesiastes very carefully. I knew some quotes, some key verses in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, but it talks in, in chapter one about vanity of vanities. That that that's a that's a word that's like vapor or breath or emptiness. Listen to this: vanity of vanities. In chapter one, verse two, says the preacher, who I believe is Solomon, but could be a, a fictional character that he developed, I guess, or or could even be someone else. But but I think most theologians agree this is Solomon. Just a just a literary device, a writing device. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That is a, a vapor, a breath, or emptiness. What does man gain by all the toil? That word toil is like toil, trouble, labor, at which he toils under the sun. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. And on its circuit, the wind returns. All streams run into the sea, but the sea is not full to the place where the streams flow, where they flow again. All things are full of weariness, and man cannot utter it. Their eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the, the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. That's one of those verses you probably know. Is there... A thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has already been. In the ages before us, there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter, later things yet to be among those who come after. Isn't that something? All is vanity. Man's toil, man's work is vanity. Most of the things we obsess over are vanity. Ecclesiastes, Solomon talks in Ecclesiastes about the importance of joy, the, the vanity of wealth and, and honor, about not, not being angry. Ecclesiastes 7, uh, verse 9, be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for uh, anger lodges in the heart of fools. That, that's, that word angry is, is translated well. It's angry <laughs> or, or vexed or indignant. Ecclesiastes 8 uh, has a section that teaches us about the fear of God, uh, uh, about learning to be joyful. Uh, there's a vanity, uh, verse 14 of chapter 8, there's a vanity that takes place on the earth 
that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. Well, how about that? I said that this also is vanity, and I commend joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. Isn't that very consistent with what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount? God clothes the animals and even the grass of the field. Yeah. When I applied verse 16 of chapter 8 of Ecclesiastes, when I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Isn't that something? The, the difference, the distance between us and God is astounding. Proverbs 9, verse 10, I want to close with this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We already talked about that. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. That word scoff is to scorn or talk arrogantly. Be being wise, developing wisdom, humbling ourselves, revering God, fearing Him is the most self-benefiting thing we can do. Our study for these 14 or so topics on God's attributes are really about knowing God. We have just begun the journey in through these 14 topics. As you know, this is a lifelong journey of knowing and trusted, trusting him. This life that we've described today brings him glory. It fulfills the law. Our walk by faith in Christ is the most important thing about us who we say God is in all three persons of the Godhead is most important. Thank you for sticking with this study in spite of a couple of interruptions along the way with other episodes about mundane topics like politics and the economy. We're going to go back to that uh, kind of a general, here's what's going on in the news episode uh, next week. I hope you'll come back. We're going to do it with a biblical worldview, biblical lenses, as we as we see even those mundane topics i am thankful that we have god's word and we've been able to do this study we've addressed divine simplicity immutability god's love god's wrath god's grace and mercy power supremacy his knowledge faithfulness patience his justice holiness goodness and now his wisdom god is transcendent and imminent. He is both apart from us, uh, um, unreachable by us and with us. And that is not a contradiction. I am so thankful for these truths. I hope this has been a blessing. If I've uh, said something that uh, creates a question in my casual treatment of, 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 a, of a topic within this topic, or if you just have questions where God is, is, is uh, prompting you to begin to uh, maybe you're hearing some of these things for the first time and you're curious 
uh, I hope you'll uh, reach out to me at john at johnwarrenmedia.com or go to johnwarrenmedia.com and, and use our contact form there. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. Please tell your friends about this podcast. It is growing well, and it grows because you tell other people about us, and I am thankful for that. I look forward to being with you again next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren. Thank you.